All right, we're going to turn this morning to the book of Daniel. So while I was thinking about this, the hymn that we used to sing came to my mind, which I thought maybe I'd read it to you. You, you could even sing it. So remember, dare to be a Daniel, dare to be a Daniel. So I thought this was good. It's written by Philip Paul Bliss, normally called P.P. Bliss. And I, I read a little bit about the background on his life. Interestingly, he was involved in some train accident. And I forget where. This is back, I don't know if it was the early 1900s. Um, and he went in. He was safe, but he went in to rescue his wife. And in the process, if I remember this right, he got killed. I don't know if his wife lived or not, but I, I thought it was interesting because you just wonder about um, people's lives. Let's see if I can find that real quick. Well, I don't think I can. There's too many different sites to find this song on. Uh, well, I should have done this ahead of time. I wasn't going to do this at all, but um, so. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting. You know, here's, and it kind of goes in with what I want to talk about too, which is the title of the sermon: Daniel and the Hand of God. Daniel and the Hand of God. Because through this, you see the hand of God working in so many different ways, and that's what I want to look at today. But then I go reading about P.P. Bliss writing a song, and he ends up dying. You know, if I remember this right, check me out. You know, while he's going to go rescue his wife, who's in this train wreck. And where's the hand of God in that was my thought. You know, here, here you... He, anyway, I just... What I find fascinating is God does things differently than I would and how to figure out the hand of God in our lives as we journey through this life. Because there's ups and downs, in, ins and outs, bad things happen, good things happen. We make good decisions, we make bad decisions, we, we are victorious over sin, we sin. But somehow in all of this, the hand of God reveals itself. And, and I want to point that out as we go through this. But just for the, you know, for the sake of the song where he wrote, Standing by a purpose true, heeding God's command, Honor them, the faithful few, all hail to Daniel's band. Many mighty men are lost, daring not to stand. Who for God had been a host by joining Daniel's band? Many giants, great and tall, stalking through the land, headlong to the earth would fall if met by Daniel's band. Hold the gospel banner high onto victory grand. Satan and his host defy and shout for Daniel's band. Then the refrain is, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. And I just thought that's so powerful because, you know, as we know the story of Daniel and his three friends, I mean, this is incredible. They decide that they're going to stand for God and trust God. And unbeknownst to them, or maybe they know it, that the hand of God is moving and working through all the circumstances of their life. I mean... Here you have Daniel. He was in the first deportation in 605 when, when uh, they're being transported to Babylon. And, and, 
you know, to no fault of his own, as far as I know, his, he was living a good life. He's, he's young. Some think he's like from 15 to 20, somewhere in that age. And due to no fault of his own, he's carried away in the deportation to this foreign land where he spends, I don't know, I think like 68 to 70 years of his life. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, where's the hand of God in that? You know, how would we feel if we were taken captive by God's enemies and were transported to, uh, I don't know, northern Russia and have to live out basically the rest of our lives in a circumstance and situation like that? That's why Daniel and these guys are so powerful to us because I, we don't really even know whether they did or not, I don't know, but we don't hear of them complaining, we don't hear of them whining. We don't hear them coming to God and say, God, oh, God, why did this happen? Why did you allow this to happen? To me, it's just fascinating. So, and, and, and encouraging and convicting, actually, to look at his life and the life of his three friends. So I want to read chapter 1, then we're going to move on from here. All right, so chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged him. So like I said, that's 605 B.C. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and, and I always think it's, it's a shame because you think of Daniel, what's the next name? Shadrach. You know, we always remember them by these pagan names versus their Hebrew name. And so their Hebrew name, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And it all has some form at the end there of, of God's name. And so their names are changed to reflect pagan gods later on. Verse 7. Unto whom the prince of the eunuch gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah uh, of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech ye, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. 
Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. In all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of the king of Cyrus, which was 539. It's always difficult to try to figure out, out these dates. But basically from uh, 605 into uh, 539, and we also find in chapter 10, verse 1, that I think it re references to where it's the third year of the reign of Cyrus. So, you know, for 70 years of his life, you know, and so at this time, he has to be, at the end, an old guy. If he's 15 to 20 and you take 70 years, I can't do this. That's at least 90, you know, probably 85, 90, somewhere around in there. You know, to me, this is convicting and encouraging. You know, I mean, I, because like I t t tell you, I, I always try to place myself in the position of whom I'm reading. So what would I have been thinking if I was Daniel, age 15 to 20? You know, age 15 to 20, I'm smoking dope and wasting my life. Here this guy gets carried away in, in the captivity, and he's like one of the choicest of the choicest. You know, think about, you know, how, how were you living your life in 15 to 20? And then all of a sudden you find yourself transported. Oh, I forget how many miles. I think, I think if I remember, it's about 500 miles, right? 900 miles. <laughs> you know, so anyway, it just, you know, dare to be a Daniel. You know, I'm, I'm like, all I can think of right now is, is the old Popeye commercials where Wimpy's always asking for uh, a hamburger. I'm Wimpy, you know. I'm not Popeye with the can of spinach ready to eat and just do the battles. You know, I'm just wimpy. Can you please give me a hamburger? So anyway, but I, I want to dare to be a Daniel, and I want us to, to dare to be Daniels. All right, so I've chosen to break this down uh, in, in three parts. First of all, the providence of God. Number two, the placement by God. And number three, the protection through God. So we have the providence of God, the placement by God, the protection through God. And I don't know um, why I do things this way, but my mind has to come at it orderly. Um, and so that's how I've chosen to break this down under Daniel and the hand of God. So, it, so I've already hinted at this idea of the providence of God. And, and, and I want you to see how it moves throughout the book. We're not going to look at the context, but I want you to see the verses that I've noticed, and there may be more, which, which highlights the fact that God was specifically involved in what was going on, the whole picture. 
All right? So we're going to look at some verses. Verse 1, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 2. And the Lord gave. So here it is. Now, you have to understand, this is behind the scenes, unbeknownst really to anybody who's alive, that God is up there doing the puppet strings, we can say. So it says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the king of Babylon's hand with part of the vessels uh, of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar. So, but this, it starts out, the, so God isn't off sleeping somewhere. God gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the king of Babylon's hand, into Nebuchadnezzar. All right, uh, verse 9. Uh, now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. You know, God did that. You know, I would be thinking, I'm, you know, me, I'm, I'd be trying to figure out how I can make this work to my betterment. I don't know if Daniel did or not, but whether you do or don't, God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love. And then verse 17, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill. You know, so this is something supernaturally that God did for them. And, and I often wonder, what well, did they feel this? It made me think about when I went to Bible school. I knew when I went to college, there was no way I was going to make it through unless God gave me knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And I really, I did see the hand of God in that because there was no way I should have made it through. I should have made it through like I did in high school where I cheated off of those that would let me cheat around them. I went to college and cheat once. And, and somehow managed to make it through with the help of a few teachers along the way, I'm sure. All right, so that's chapter 1. Then chapter 2, verse 37. Thou, O king, art king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven, hath God given into thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. God did that. God had given him a kingdom, power and strength and glory and everything else that went with it. All right, then we have chapter 3 and verse 28. Chapter 3, uh, I'm sorry, I don't even know what I just said. Three twenty. Chapter 3, verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word. But God who hath sent his angel and delivered. That's just so cool. All right, chapter 5 and verse 18. Pretty much saying what we've already read, but just so you can see it. O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. All right, and then the last one is chapter 6. Verse uh, 21, Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. 
So you see the providence of God working. Sometimes I, I have to think Nebuchadnezzar's not thinking, oh yeah, God gave me all this. And yet at other times, Daniel specifically saw, at least maybe after the fact, that God had done the miraculous. So you have the providence of God working throughout all of this from Nebuchadnezzar to Daniel to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Haniel, Mishael, and Azariah. You know, so if I'm right. So, so that's what I want us to see. So in the events of our life, the ones that are good, the ones that don't seem so good, great times, not so great times. You make mistakes, you don't make mistakes. You make Choices, you don't make choices that you should have. But somehow, in the tapestry of God, he weaves it all together for his glory and for our good. Now, specifically in relation to the provinces of God, I want us to look at the, the three verses in chapter 1 that I've highlighted. Not to say a whole lot, but to just kind of narrow it down in this chapter specifically. So, Chapter 1, verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Now what I want us to see are there are some ramifications involved in the actions that God did. So the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And, and so, and then, so, 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 but because of Jehoiakim and decisions he made, plus other kings before him, God's at the tail end here, and, and deportation is going to happen, and the ramifications are his, his house is going to be dismantled piece by piece, and his people are going to be transported person by person. But we have to realize that still behind that, that God is the one that's given Jehoiakim, the vessels of the temple, and his people into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And I have to believe that somehow that David and others could see that though all this bad is happening, God has not lost control. And God is going to work out his will through it all. Too bad for me that I'm going to live my whole life in this foreign land where I don't want to be. But God is still in control. So the Lord gave. Then verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Well, what's the ramification of that? The ramification of that is that Daniel now has the opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to eat the king's meat. I don't want to drink his wine. And I'm not really sure. Some think because a portion of the king's food, his meat, and his, his wine was, was dedicated to the pagan gods. And that may be part of the reason why Daniel didn't want to eat this stuff. And it just might have been that it was not clean. But for whatever reason, Daniel has made up his mind that he's not going to eat this food. He's purpose in his heart that he's not going to defile himself. And so God brings Daniel into this incredibly close relationship with uh, the prince of the eunuchs. That's just awesome. So God gives Jehoiakim and the temple, uh, uh, the, the things that make up the temple and the people into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. But now that Daniel's there, God brings him into this incredible close relationship with, we'll call him his head captor. It's just awesome. And the ramifications are 
that he's going to be able to be obedient to God as best he knows how with his three friends. And the king is going to see, whoa, look what they did. That's working better than what worked with my plan over here. And then God elevates him to these positions and uh, God gets glory through it. All right. And then the third one, verse 17 as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning wisdom. And Daniel had understanding and all visions of dreams. So that's the ramifications. So, so there are ramifications to the providence of God and his hand working in our lives. Through bad choices, all the people are carried into captivity, or choices that you had nothing really to do with, Daniel and his three friends. But God is going to work out his will and his plan, and there's going to be ramifications. There's going to be fallout from all of it. But for those that seek their heart, set their heart to seeking the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God is going to see them through in his plan. Now, it, it, it may not always work out as well as it does for the three friends, but whether it's like P.P. Bliss going in to res rescue his wife from a train wreck and dies... Well, that's the will of God. How? I don't know. Or God delivers you from the lion's mouth, you know? So that's the providence of God. So I want us to see that God is always working behind the scenes on the behalf of his children. Whether we think it's good that's happened or bad that's happening, we have to understand that God's working out his will and learn somehow to rest in that. All right, so that's the providence of God. Second, the placement by God. The placement by God, I'll give you the three points, leads to friendships. These friendships are based upon, number two, faith. And faith is demonstrated by food, number three. All right, so the placement by God. The placement by God leads to key friendships. That's number one. These friendships are based upon faith, number two. And number three, this faith is demonstrated by food. All right, so I had to get all three F's in there, but it, it seemed to work out all right. Friendships, faith, and food. The divine placement by God. So some key friendships are going to be developed here. And, and I love that because in my life and circumstances, God has given me key friendships to see me through, whatever it is. People that he sends into my life, your life. Angels unawares that get seemingly just pop in to your life and pop out. But as you step back and you look, you realize that these are people that God placed into your life for a specific reason. I mean, I, I don't know where I would have been if God didn't somehow work in my friend Barry's heart, who had been witnessed to by Omer to go to church, and Barry invites me to go. And so I go, and the head pastor's gone, the assistant pastor's there, he preaches a message on hell. And so I end up getting saved, go off to Bible college, and God brings right next to me the woman I'm going to marry. And on and on and on it goes, these key friendships, these, these relationships that develop because of God's placement of you in your life in his will. So there's two people here. There's Ashpenaz, uh, Ashpenaz, 
Ashpenaz. He's the master or prince of the eunuch. Eunuchs, verse 3 and 7. And, and it says in verse 3, it talks about he's the master of the eunuchs. And then verse 7, the prince of the eunuchs. I tend to think and others think that the master and the prince are the same guy. Some think there's a master, there's a prince, and then there's, um, oh, the third guy, where, where did he go? Uh, um, Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs, verse 11, set over Daniel. I, I think there's two. I think there's Ashpenaz and then there's Melzar. This thing with Ashpenazar, I think, is very interesting. Uh, so, verse 10, it says, And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. So, so basically, Ashpenaz is saying, Listen, Daniel, I've, I got your request. I, I, I've heard it, but you know what? If, I can't risk it in my position. All right. Now, what I think is happening here, because when you get to verse 11, it made me think of Brad Scott, the wink, wink, nod, nod. I kind of think this is how I view it, and I was going to take the time to read others, but others think the same thing. This was my thought, and it always makes me feel good when others did, that they didn't use these words. But basically, Ashpenaz is talking to Daniel, giving him a wink, wink, nod, nod. I can't do this for you. Wink, wink, nod, nod. And intimated in it, perhaps, is verse 11. You know, he, he, he somehow is it's, it's conveyed to Daniel, Ashpenaz can't do it, but, you know, you might be able to work, work it out with this other guy. So then you get to verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Haniel, Mishai, prove thy servants, and so forth. And then he does it. And perhaps, I, I, this, I'm reading a lot into this, but I'm not alone. Perhaps... Melzar had the freedom to allow Daniel and his friends to eat this food because he already knew that Ashpenaz was going to turn a blind eye to it because Ashpenaz already had uh, uh, a connection with Daniel and his three friends. So this placement by God leads to key friendships with Ashpenaz and with Melzar. And, uh, And because of that, they are able now to live out their faith in this, this matter. And so the friendships, now the, the, what, what I want us to realize is Daniel and his friends did not compromise. Daniel and his friends did not lower their standards to get by. They, they risked a lot by saying, we just can't do this. And so because they stayed true to their faith, they had genuine friendships. They, they did not have to lessen their faith, diminish their faith, hide their faith, ignore their faith to make friends. They stayed true to who and what they were, and I want us to see that. You're, you're in a horrible circumstance and situation. Sometimes it, it's, it's, it's a, um, a temptation to kind of just set our faith a little bit to the side to not be too vocal, to not be too demonstrative. You know, God will understand if I hide my seats in this situation. Well, when we do that, then the relationships and the friendships that we get out of that are not genuine. They're, they're based on a falsehood. And that person is not getting a real picture of who we are because we were afraid to let our faith shine and really do a disservice to those that now we create friendships with. Daniel and his friends didn't do that. 
And so their faith, this friendship is based upon their faith. And that comes out in verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He, I am not going to defile myself. This is huge. Please see this. 15 to 20 year old kid carried away 900 miles into this foreign place, dragged into this, I don't know, group of people that are set apart because the king wants to use them for a specific reason. They're all alone from their homeland. And yet, yeah, what would you do? What would I do? You know, the king's, you're going to eat the king's meat and his wine, and just for sake of illustration, he, tonight is, is um, pork chops. Right? We've been through this. Pork chops. <sighs> what would we have done? What would I have done? This is why these guys are so huge in the annals of biblical history. Because this is big. We've been through the food things. So he's not going to defile himself. That's his faith. And so the placement by God leads to key friendships. This friendship was based upon faith. I'm not going to defile myself. And they've been genuine in their testimony. And then faith is demonstrated in part through this very practical, personal, everyday means. What we eat. This, this eating thing, as we know, is, is humongous. It's just humongous. Who would think that eating food would be such a line of demarcation cut into the sand by a bulldozer? It's just huge. And so, as I said, the king's food, at least the first portion of it, perhaps probably was something offered to idols. I don't know if it was that or if it because tonight's you know, menu is catfish. I, I don't know. But for whatever reason, they said, we can't do this. We, we can't do this. As a 15 to 20-year-old boy speaking. <laughs> now, you know, the king could have really been personally offended. I mean, think about this. The king, as, as, as I would imagine, eats the best, drinks the best best. Now he has these 15-year-old to 20-year-old scrawny kids saying, we don't want to eat your food. But as a matter of fact, just give us a bunch of vegetables and, and grains and, and, and legumes or whatever it is. You know, try to figure out what pulse is. Most of the time it's translated vegetables, but I think it's broader than that. So just give us that. No, King, I don't want your filet mignon tonight. I want vegetable soup. I don't want your $200 bottle of wine. Just give me just water. Now, I don't know. How do you think the king would react to that? There's a good possibility. Who do these guys think they are? You mean to tell me my dietary standards aren't as good as yours? What's wrong with my pig? And so they, they live out their faith. And the first test is, are you going to eat the pork chops? You know, are you going to eat the pork chops? 
I don't know. I think this is greatly encouraging and convicting at the same time. You are going to be, I am going to be tested. We're going to be tested on this matter of food. And it's going to be more difficult than we can imagine throughout the rest of our life. All right. So the providence of God, the placement by God, now the protection through God. So I want to look at the two instances that we're familiar with, but see how they're connected, okay? All right, so chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 through 30 just because we need to, to just read the story. All right, And this will be the first one. And then after that, we're going to go to chapter 6 and not read as many verses. All right, so uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Wherefore, I got to get something to drink here. All right. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Their faith is so being tested here. You know, wouldn't you be tempted to just say, God, please, I'm going to bow my head just ever so slightly to get by. Can you please forgive me? Right? Verse 13, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made, well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast uh, the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, Yes, you're right. I'm sorry. We will. <laughs> oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we're, we're not even thinking about this. this, this isn't. We're not giving this another thought, which I think this is what that means. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. I just hear Lester. <laughs> king, I've not even given this another thought. You know. 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not... Now, what you have to understand is 17. If so be, uh, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Okay, so connect. And he will deliver us out of thy hand. In other words, whether it's through life or death, through deliverance or death, we're going to be out from under your hands one way or the other, which is what I think that means. So then you get to verse 18. 
But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. <laughs> wow. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men, which lets you know he wasn't thinking at this point, you know. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, in their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished, and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, yeah, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the former, the fourth, is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, ye servants of the Most High, come forth and come hither. No, you come and get me. <laughs> they could have said. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes, where did I say we're going to read through? Uh, what did I say? Okay. Then uh, 27, and the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their heads singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies that they might not serve uh, nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language who speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other god that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So we're very familiar with that story. Um, but but I, I like, and we're going to make the connection in verse uh, 17. If so be, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. God is able. But if not. So three words. God is able. Three more. But if not. That's where we need to find ourselves in life. God is able. But if not. If he does. The hand of God was in my life. But if he doesn't, the hand of God is still in my life. If he heals me from that disease, God's hand was on me. If he chooses to not heal me, God's hand is there. If God's hand was there when he brought me to Babylon, but if he doesn't take me out, his hand is still there. All right. 
So God is able, but if not, God is able, but if not. And that's the, the, the ping pong of our life's existence, right? God's able. Well, why didn't God is able, but if not, right? God is able, but if not. Now, also still with this protection through God, let's go up to chapter 6, and we'll, I'll show you the connection in a minute. Verse 18, chapter 6, verse 18. So we're going to read 18 through 23. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music. I'm not going to give you the whole backdrop. Brought before him. And his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel, and hath shut the lion's mouth, that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. But verse 17 connects us to back to chapter 3 where it says, God is able. Verse 20, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able? Is thy God able? And that's really at the root of the test. Can I believe that God is able? I'm not sure that I even necessarily believe that at times wholeheartedly. Is God able? But the truth is, it's not always going to end as cleanly and as nicely as it does for Daniel and his three friends in the situations they find themselves in. But we need to face whatever it is Going into it with the mindset, God is able. God is able. God is able. But if not, and somehow rest in that. You know, I hate to keep referring to this, but as big as this in my life, when I found out I had cancer, I wasn't in the God is able, but if not stage. You know, I just, I never even made it there. Did I know God was able? Yes. But if not, it was the will of God. I knew that, but I wasn't living in that. That's a difference. I'm sure these guys in their humanness struggled and, and maybe had moments of panic and doubt and all like we do. But they lived in God is able, but if not. And, and it was so real that even the king was saying, hey, you know, I know you've told me, but Daniel, is your God able? Was he able? Are you there? So God is able. We're always going to be questioned, whether by ourselves or others. Is thy God able? Daniel, is thy God able? But they got to this place because of their, 
gosh, because it was a providence of God where they were, because in the placement of God, it led to friendships that were based upon faith, that were demonstrated by the very need for their life sustenance, food. Can you see that? It, it was all, it all crescendoed to these moments because God's placed us here. He's given us some contacts, but we've not compromised, and we're living it out by what the life sustenance that we need, our food. And then when it comes to the time of the test, when they're put to the test, God is able, but are you going to? Then, and then those that are looking at him say, is your God able? He said he is. How are you going to handle it now? So, the hand of God is in all of our lives as well. We, we just have to see that. And we have our own stories to tell, and we're building lives in which we will have stories to tell to those around us, to our family, and to the next generation of how God is able. But if not, we still serve Him. We still live for Him. We still do right. We honor our faith. So the next generation is looking to us just like we look back to Daniel and his three friends to face whatever life is going to bring our way. All right, now let's close out with this. Chapter 3, verse 28. All right, so then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word. And I've never really saw this like I have. And yielded their bodies. <laughs> and yielded their bodies. I don't let that sink in. They yielded their bodies. Well, how are we supposed to let that sink in? Go to Romans. And this was a connection. I, I never thought of, of placing it like this. And, and I don't know, maybe Paul was thinking this. I, maybe not. But, you know, I, I'm learning that things that are said in what we call the New Testament aren't by accident or by new, that lots of times they're based upon what has already been reviewed, uh, revealed in the past. So, you know, we're told that they yielded their bodies in Daniel, but then Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to the Babylon that you've been carried away to, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove and, and test and demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's what it means. So I think at the, at, the, at the very foundation of it all is what these young men had at the beginning. God, our lives are yours. Our bodies are yours. It's all yours. And they were free. They were just like the band of brothers when uh, Spear comes and talks to uh, Blythe and says, Blythe, you know why you were afraid? Uh, sitting in that foxhole, I was afraid. No, because you still have hope. Once you come to the place where you realize you're already dead, then you'll be able to serve as a soldier should serve without remorse or regret. And that's why Spear was the great 
lieutenant that he was and leader that he was and did what he did because he went at it as dead. He's dead. Well, Daniel, Mishael, Azaniah, Shimmer, whatever the three names are, they, they, evidently they were already dead. They, they just died to self. They had yielded their bodies over. God, this body, this vessel is not mine, it's yours. Do with it. You are doing with it as you see fit. Help me to not get in the way in the with this vessel that you've given to me to glorify you. Help me to let you do it, whether you are able or not. So that's the message of Daniel and the hand of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just ministering to me. I mean, so much of this, it just came alive in, in a way that it just hadn't ever before. And I think in part it's because I come now to this, what we call Old Testament, with, with eyes really seeking because before it was like, well, yeah, that's all good. It's good stories, but... You know, that was for them back then. Now it's like, no, this is for me now. And so I come to it now with fresh eyes. It's been so exciting. You know, and, and Daniel and his three friends, they're, they're, I'm, they're, I'm connected to them. And so their stories, their lives are set forth as an example and live in demonstration of what I'm supposed to do as your child. So, Father, just help me, help us all to just yield our bodies to be dead and then, and then be able to just live for Yeshua, our Savior. His name we